Welcome back to the Kyle Style Podcast once again. Uh, this podcast is brought to you in part by Kyle Style Design. Head over to redbubble.com, check out Kyle Style Design, get some of my original artwork on uh, hats, shirts, mugs, prints, stickers, uh, leggings, etc. And uh, get some one-of-a-kind art in your life and uh, be looking stylish. The Kyle Style Podcast is also brought to you in part by contributions from listeners like you. Head over to the GoFundMe page, throw me a dollar, an episode, or something like that, and uh, help keep this ball rolling, and I'll try to keep coming up with more quality content for your mind, to wash your mind with uh, new original ideas and stuff that you've never heard about, which will be interesting, or just stuff that reinforces your confirmation bias, which will make you, you know, feel like you're smarter, right? Either way, you win. So welcome back once again. This is Visions of the Apocalypse Pandemic. Now, when we're talking about apocalyptic fiction, um, there's, a, there's a, a big realistic threat from pathogens and bacteria and viruses and maybe bioweapons, right, that just like a neutron bomb, similar to an atom bomb, right? A neutron bomb just sort of sends out a pulse of energy and kind of wipes out people but leaves all the infrastructure. You could kind of have this effect from a bioweapon or from a naturally occurring virus, say, where the susceptible populations um, succumb to sickness and... This has been with us, uh, you know, mostly all of our human history, you know. It's been a kind of uh, wobbling uh, evolutionary arms race between bacteria and viruses and diseases and the human immune system. And there have been times when little innovations come along, uh, you know, washing your hands before you eat, (laughs) Washing your hands before you deliver a baby, uh, these kinds of things, and uh, you know, quarantining people who are ill, proper disposal of bodies that were diseased—all of these things have been little innovations, but they're still vectors, uh, methods of transmission that will get around some of our best efforts, right? And with the spread of you know global travel and everything. You could have somebody with, as we ran into this with the Ebola outbreaks recently, you could have somebody with Ebola hop on a plane, not necessarily feeling that, you know, feeling sick, arrive in New York City, and then begin spreading Ebola everywhere. Uh, This is, and then spreading that, and spreading that more to more and more people, and then the whole thing spreads around the world and everybody's dying. This is... You know, we have the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, etc., and we have a general, we have a knowledge of uh, the germ theory of disease, right? So a lot of at least industrialized nations would have some kind of method of coping with this. But the looming threat is there, and it's often pointed to by, uh, you know, I don't know, comedians or maybe the more serious people who think that the Earth is overpopulated and that maybe a, a disease outbreak that wipes out, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent of us wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing in the long run. And so we have ruminated on this and we have created stories about it. Now, 
again, there's a foundation in reality, right? And everybody knows some of these stories. There are different outbreaks, but, you know, the Black Death, which ravaged Europe for really seven years or so and killed about 75 to 200 million people and changed the structure of European society and daily life was changed because of the loss of life and uh, people you know, praying to be saved because they thought it was a blight from heaven and, uh, you know, blaming Jews for poisoning the well, all of that stuff, right? And I'd, I'd recommend uh, Dan Carlin's hardcore history episode, Bubonic Nukes, which he kind of went into some of the, the overwhelming effects and the accounts of what happened and then the effect that it had on European society, which was, you know, revolutionary in a sense. And that's, again, the bubonic plague. Now, there's another more recent one in modern times, which is the 1918 influenza pandemic, which infected nearly 500 million people worldwide. Uh, one in four Americans fell ill, and something about around 675,000 died. Some estimates put the worldwide death toll as high as you know, 20 to 50 million, some as high as 100 million. And this happened very quickly uh, within, I, I think it was like six to eight months. It spread around the whole world and everybody was starting to see the effects of it. And within about three years, it had kind of run its course. But in that, uh, you know, that was a modern times. So you had rail, you had airplanes, and uh, ocean travel, etc. It was the tail end of World War I. Uh, you had this uh, ability to... Uh, to spread the disease to every corner of the world fairly quickly, you know, fairly quickly, not as quickly as we have today. And it was able to spread that far and kill that many people. And you started to see a kind of social collapse as a result of the fear, the paranoia, as well as the completely reasonable measures being taken to try and contain this disease. You had churches and businesses closing, uh, you know, schools closing, social distancing, they called it, in some cities where you just sort of didn't go near, physically near other people. Uh, there were fines for not wearing masks. Uh, you know, you, you isolate the population this way, and it's a very demoralizing. And when whole families die... And you can't go to the funeral because that's a gathering of people. And if there's a gathering of people, then maybe more people will get sick. You, you start to see an abandonment of what we think of as being human and what we think of as society, right? And there's a continuation of this kind of thing with, uh, you know, the AIDS uh, epidemic that we've experienced over the last, I guess, what, 25, 30 years where it has made unprotected sexual encounters potentially life-threatening and very terrifying, right? And it's it has a it has a sort of corrosive effect on society when you have this kind of almost paranoia, right? You can't cure this disease and you get it from having sex with people and if they lie to you about having a disease and then thus the rise of condoms and all these things and safe sex and all this other stuff and it's is an invasive aspect, it invades aspects of our lives that 
we attempt to, you know, counter with, um, you know, prophylactics and safe sex techniques and, uh, and uh, testing for STDs and all that stuff. And, you know, like I already mentioned, that Ebola outbreaks in Africa, and that triggered everybody a little bit to be a little bit panicky, and they had a few cases here in the States, and everybody kind of held their breath a little bit, and that kind of fizzled out, though. And one thing I, I think is the case with Ebola is that it's kind of, it's fatal fairly quickly, so it tends to burn itself out. It has a short uh, kind of incubation period, so you're not, it's not liable to spread super far before people start showing symptoms, right? But now we have this uh, Zika virus that just keeps prop, cop, prop, cropping up, jumping up. It's a fucking headline, all right? Uh, Zika virus came out of, I guess, maybe Africa, uh, South America, you know, and it's causing pregnant women to have deformed babies, uh, microcephaly. We did a whole episode about that one called uh, Zika virus and the Handmaid's Tale and oh, Zika virus, children of men and the Handmaid's Tale, a little compendium there about what we're looking at if pregnant women can't be exposed to mosquitoes and what what we're, what it's going to look like if we try to control uh, human reproduction so we don't have a bunch of microcephaly babies. Anyway, rambling. That's not this episode. This is Visions of the Apocalypse. Visions of the Apocalypse. This is Visions of the Pandemic. And again, I want to I want to try to stay a little bit mainstream on this because I'm sure this could go a whole lot of directions and my I have my time is limited and your time is limited waiting for me to put these episodes together. So I'm going to cover some films and some books and things that go through the the timeline of what the pandemic apocalypse would look like. And I want to give an honor an honorable mention to uh, a nonfiction book called uh, out or called The Hot Zone from 1994, which was kind of a nonfiction thriller that explored some of these uh, you know Ebola type viruses and gave dis- descriptions of what they look like when somebody actually is kind of succumbing to the disease, and it's pretty it's pretty horrific. But as that is nonfiction, that's also kind of outside of the scope of Visions of the Apocalypse. So we're going to move right right into a term everybody knows, right? Outbreak. And not just the outbreak, the film. Outbreak. Uh, what is it? Uh, Dustin Hoffman and Cuba Gooding Jr. And Kevin Spacey was in there. Uh, Rene Russo. And a little monkey gets, you know, uh, carries the disease from another monkey, and he gets captured, and then he gets brought as a pet to the United States, and then he gets he gets passed around, and then the disease keeps spreading person to person to person. Oh yeah, Morgan Freeman was in there, and it follows what how you arrive at the outbreak point, where a small town really becomes a hotbed for the disease. The disease mutated, mutates from a, a more uh, contact-based transmission to being airborne. And so then the whole town starts getting sick. And they don't have a cure, and they have to quarantine the whole town. And it sort of brings up an ethics of what can you, what, le- what levels can you go to to contain people who may be infected with a deadly disease. Uh, military is used... Uh, you know, isolation, families are separated from one another in order to kind of try to quarantine this, and they have to systematically test everybody, and it leads to 
ethical conflicts in the story, of course. Now, you know, spoilers for a 20-year, 21-year-old movie. Uh, Cuba Gooding and Dustin Hoffman save the day, and they find a cure for the disease, and uh, I think they even cure the monkey. <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, but that was a good depiction of kind of how scary and how amped up things could get if you had a really dangerous disease, and it had the potential to spread widely and could, in some sense, end civilization. Now, there was a 2011 film that was a little similar, but it was a little more... I only saw it once. It was a little more artsy. It was called Contagion. It felt a little more a little more artsy. Uh, it was a little less action-y. It was, Matt Damon was in it, and uh, it was it Gwyneth Paltrow, I think? And they did an interesting thing at the beginning and the end where they showed where they showed how it, uh, an infected person touches a surface and another person touches another surface and then it transmits between person to person to person. And that, that's an interesting way to is an interesting way to portray and sort of demonstrate how the disease how diseases get transmitted, right? And that that one had a little bit of that societal collapse thing in it, uh, at least partially, where things start to get a little rough and people start to get paranoid, and you have to you start to have that breakdown of society where there's the isolation, the social distancing, and it's very, you know, it's again, it's very paranoid, but it's also accurate. It's for your own good, but it is invasive, and that's sort of what the it starts to look like a police state, but it's for your own good, right? And it's for the good of not spreading the disease. And people would do well not to trust each other, essentially, when they might be carrying a dangerous disease. Now, there was another one which comes from another angle, which is the uh, uh, Michael Crichton book from 1969, The Andromeda Strain. And this was made into a movie. Now, I, I think I read part of the book. I don't think I read the whole thing, but I remember reading part of it. And the I remember seeing the film, though. And this was an interesting... It's an interesting form of the pandemic, anyway, or at least the outbreak of the pandemic, which is that a satellite kind of comes back down from outer space, and it has some space bacteria in it and the space bacteria is not it's like crystalline it's not it's like a silicon based kind of life form or something and it starts to evolve and change really quickly and it is lethal to humans and then it isn't lethal to humans but it can just destroy stuff and it kind of is like an alien life form that's almost an alien invasion story that's a separate episode of visions of the apocalypse but um, that one was a it was creepy because it was it would cause an instant almost instantaneous coagulation of the blood. So basically everybody's blood just hardened in their veins. And the only people who were immune were uh, kind of like on drugs and things, and then the drugs they were on would counteract the would counteract the effects of this crystalline alien disease, right? And starting, we'll follow this one too, which is the 2008... Uh, uh, what's her name? Julianne Moore and Mark Ruffalo uh, film Blindness. Now, Blindness was one of these movies that I thought didn't get it didn't get the, its fair. Sh- it didn't get a fair shake. Like it, it kind of came and went, and is 
kind of pretty great in my opinion. It has some very dark and very intense moments, but it was very good and it covered that that societal collapse aspect, right? And I'm going to include that's kind of the last one in this uh, the outbreak section because it shows the patient zero and it shows that kind of spreading. Now, I was hesitant to put this one in because it's not specifically said that it's a disease and they, you know, the whole world tries to find what to do about this, but they can't find a cure. And I don't know if they, I think they said that it's not really a disease. It's just sort of a thing that's happening. So I was hesitant to call it a disease, but in the way that diseases behave, it kind of, it goes, it gets transmitted from person to person. And in the story, Julianne Moore is the only person who isn't affected by it for whatever reason. And as the, I think there's kind of a AIDS patient allegory there where they kind of start quarantining all the blind people and they're mistreating them really because they, they just want to lock them away. And they lock them all in this facility and the conditions just get worse and worse and worse as more and more of them come in. And there's power struggles between the different, you know, different groups of people. And you have people who are already blind getting in there and then they are more capable at being blind than the other people. And the important thing in that film was that they weren't blind like with darkness. It's like their eyes still worked. They were blinded by whiteness. They could see, they could, they could see white and then you have this societal collapse story. Uh, this this uh, blindness comes on very quickly, and so you have planes sort of falling from the sky, and you have car crashes and everything. Uh, politicians are going blind, and so the whole world kind of just descends into anarchy and madness. And Julianne Moore has to save the day, but she's kind of great. So, so these these especially like that the movie Outbreak. Uh, it arrive, you know, you you wrap the whole story up before it really takes off, right? And you have to reach this critical mass point where so many people are dying that you have to implement that social distancing and you have to implement all that that quarantining, that police state uh, authoritarian measures kind of thing, right? And we, aside from that 1918 influenza outbreak, we haven't seen an outbreak really like that. Like a limited Ebola outbreak here in the States might trigger a, a little bit of a panic reaction, and there might be police and CDC and maybe military there to make sure that nobody approaches something that has Ebola, an Ebola outbreak, like the one that was in, I think, Houston. But that's not the same thing as don't go to school, don't go to work. <laughs> like the grocery store is closed, uh, you know, churches are closed. So the the real danger here isn't even a small town necessarily getting a, an outbreak of something. It's it reaching a wide population, right? Lots of millions of people, tens of hundreds of millions of people, ultimately billions of people. And... There's a neat kind of, there's a neat really early story of this, which is the uh, Edgar Allan Poe, Mask of the Red Death, from uh, May of 1842, right? And in that story, which this one you could remake all super sexy-like and, I don't know, do it with zombies maybe, I don't know. 
There was actually a section in World War Z that was similar to, to this idea. But Mosque of the Red Death, they uh, there's a disease rampaging through the countryside, and the prince gathers all his favorite people together, and they seal themselves in their castle, and they say, we're not going out, we're just going to hang out in here and ride this, ride this disease out. But uh, death makes an appearance at the inside the halls of the the castle and sort of showing that nobody can escape death and causes them to you know causes the prince to fall ill and you know blood spurting from his eyes and all that all that great stuff now there are three there are three that I want to give honorable mentions to, but I'm, I'm trying to cover them a little more in uh, another episode, and you'll you'll understand why as soon as I tell you what they are. Quarantine, which was incredibly creepy and cool, and I liked it. It's one of the few found footage movies I like. It was very grainy and cool. And I guess you could mention Rec, R-E-C, Record, which was the uh, Italian or Spanish version that Hollywood then hijacked. I haven't seen that one, but I've heard it's good, maybe better. Uh, so quarantine was a good one where there's like an outbreak of the disease and people get sealed inside a building and, you know, we're going to cover that one later. There's another great one that apparently was a George Romero movie, which I didn't know, and then it was remade more recently. It's called The Crazies, and The Crazies is... You know, uh, people are going bonkers and trying to kill everybody, and it's a disease that's making them, that's spreading to everybody, making it, making them do that. Which brings us to 28 days later, and of course 28 weeks later, and then allegedly the 28 months later that's allegedly coming. Danny Boyle, come on, homie, come through with it. Uh, 28 days later, basically not undead zombies they're living zombies and they go bonkers and they attack you now i'm putting those off till later in another episode and you'll know why gotta do the zombie episode but here's another one that was it kind of came and went i thought that it might have been cooler or have been bigger than it was uh this movie doomsday now doomsday had a whole bunch of stuff in it that wasn't necessarily that strongly connected, but all that stuff was pretty cool. Uh, that main girl, I forget who she was. Uh, she's kind of, she's kind of model. I forget her name. Uh, oh, Rona Mitra was her name. But uh, yeah, this one was one of those UK or one of those English stories where you know the the whole story takes place in England, and I get it. You know, if you're English, then it's a whole thing, and it's an island, so you can kind of write within the geography there. Um, but this movie was interesting. It had Bob Hoskins in it, and uh, but Rona Mitra was Eden Sinclair, and she's a uh, like a cop in the south of England, and in the north in the Scot in Scotland is where this disease outbreak happened, where people get covered in these boils, and they're you know they're highly infectious. And they built a wall. And uh, in the words of Malcolm McDowell, in the, uh, the intro, he gives a whole info dump about the wall stood 30 feet high, armed with machine guns. And they built this wall to keep the, the Scottish out. But, well, Scottish, I mean, yeah, they basically built a wall to keep the Scottish out. They're all diseased. And they just hope that the disease will burn itself out while they hide behind the wall. 
and the then they have to well the, okay Eden Sinclair is cool because she has like a fake eye and she pops her eyeball out and it has like a camera in it and so then she like throws the eyeball around and then she can look through where the eyeball is and she can like be super sneaky like that and it's super cool uh, but they go up to Scotland and then they get captured by cannibal murderers and there's it, there's a lot of cool stuff in it but I, I don't think the movie did well but that was one of those critical mass outbreak stories where you have a full sort of societal collapse happening and you maybe abandon entire vast tracts of earth and hole up you know you kind of circle the wagons a little bit to defend yourself from from this outbreak. Now, when you're talking about a pandemic as an apocalyptic thing, right? We're talking about it reaching that past the critical mass point because the critical mass point is kind of where we hit in 1918. Towns start quarantining themselves. Uh, you know, you can be arrested for not wearing a mask. That kind of thing. You start to have societal breakdown and collapse. Now, that's different than you walking outside and there's no cars on the road there's no planes in the sky there's nobody else around because everybody's already dead right and this has been done a wee bit in um well there there this it's a bit of a trope the wake up in the hospital and be all alone and wander around until you find out what is going on. 28 Days Later did it. Walking Dead did it. Um, uh, the Earth Abides did it. And The Earth Abides was is a book from I think it was 1954, I think, where it follows that trope. The guy gets bit by a rattlesnake out in the woods, and then he goes back to his cabin, and he tries to suck it out, and he's just kind of sick and laying there for days. And while he's up there, it's been weeks and weeks since he's checked in with anybody, uh, then he doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't know that society has collapsed and that everybody's dying of this disease everywhere. So when he comes down out of the mountains kind of looking for help, he's like, ah, I got bit by a snake. Well, there's nobody there. Dogs wandering around. There's a handful of people, but they're all wary and they're all paranoid and they're, you know, drunk alcoholics, etc. And they, he watches, he sort of watches the crumbling remains of civilization as they break down. Uh, the lights are still on at first, and eventually they go off. Houses burn down. There's no one there to to stop it. And over time, even. Eventually, uh, the dogs form into packs that are feral and hungry. And at some point, the store, easily accessible stored food will start to go bad. It's hard to find. Uh, you have to stockpile it. You have to relearn all the skills you're going to need to learn. Do you know how to make aspirin? Do you know how to make antibiotics? Do you know how to make a shoe? Do you know how to load ammunition? All, all of these skills become part of his journey, and he, he sets out from the beginning of the story after he realizes what's happened, that he wants to kind of be a witness to the collapse of civilization uh, in a sort of a scientific way. And 
this theme of that kind of last man on earth sort of thing is very similar to, well, the trope has been used. But in this particular case, it's a disease that wipes everybody out. And oh, I forgot to mention I Am Legend. I Am Legend did it, as well as the Omega Man. But again, I'm going to mention those in a different, uh, different episode. So moving into the full uh, uh, civilizational collapse, one uh, a really great book that was made into kind of a kind of a terrible miniseries. Like the miniseries isn't a terrible representation of the book, but it's pretty just pretty lame. Stephen King's The Stand. Okay, now I, again, I'd recommend the the miniseries. You can find it online and everything. Maybe I'll try to find some of it, put it in the uh, playlist for this episode. But The Stand follows a few different characters, at least in the United States. I guess, fuck the rest of the world. And it's the disease is called Captain Trips. And Captain Trips starts just killing everybody. And they're dumping bodies in the ocean. And they can't burn. They don't have enough fuel to burn all the bodies. And a few people are apparently immune. They don't know why. And they can't, you know, make antibodies from them. They're just immune. And then they start having dreams and visions of either um, a man named Randall Flagg, who is a very ominous figure, the walking dude, or the sweet old lady, uh, Mother Mother Abigail. Yeah, there it is. Mother Abigail, and she's like a 110-year-old black woman in Nebraska who sits on a porch playing a guitar. And what you have here is a polarization of good and evil, and the good people are drawn to Boulder, Colorado, <laughs> And the evil people are drawn to Las Vegas, Nevada, right? And they travel through the burned-out wreckage of the collapse of civilization due to the Captain Trip's disease and make use of the resources they can and fall victim to a lack of, you know, medical help and everything. And it's... Like I said, the book is better than the the the, the mini series there, but uh, there's this sort of supernatural element that drives through it, and I guess you could compare it to like the Rapture. Essentially, everybody else is gone except for these people who do all kind of have crises crises of faith that they have to overcome, and kind of as they do, then they I feel like they kind of make their exit as they you know have their moral epiphanies and things but I'd leave it up to you to read the book and decide. And there's another one of these uh, exploring the disease, the pandemic apocalypse that I just sort of stumbled upon. It was on Netflix a while back with uh, Chris Pine, and it had to be it had to have been one of Chris Pine's earlier things, way before he did, uh, you know, Star Trek and everything. And it's called Carriers, and Carriers is like the guy and his brother, his little brother, and they've got two girls with them, and they're trying to head to where they think is somewhere safe, where they used to go surfing when they were kids, and they have this survivors. Uh, ethics kind of situations where they are forced to help people, but they are risking exposing themselves to the disease if they do that, and they're not alone out there in the in the wilderness, you know, in the uh, on the highways and byways. It gets a little Mad Max here and there, and that was a good that was a good depiction of how desolate things could be when there's really no help 
and there's no supplies and there's no uh you know there's no cure for this disease and you kind of gotta look out for numero uno and your maybe your quest for a, a safe place is not necessarily uh to be found right and then we're gonna move and then we move even further you move even further into the future. And this one goes a little sideways. It was uh, 12 Monkeys, starring Bruce Willis. I believe it was directed by Terry Gilliam. Feels like it was directed by Terry Gilliam. Uh, 12 Monkeys is the story of the future, where humanity, it, well, at the time it was the future, it was like the year 1999, and, you know, that didn't happen, but uh, it's like the year 1999, and it's the future, and a disease has wiped out uh, all of, like, 99% of humanity, and everybody lives underground. And Bruce Willis committed a crime or something, and so he's uh, forced to go up to the surface in a suit and walk around and try and find living things and bring them back down, and they're trying to find a, a, a sort of a mutation, I think, of the disease and trying to cure it. But they can't. They can't cure this version of it, so they the uh, powers that be end up sending him back in time and he then encounters a really great insane Brad Pitt uh, who if you cross him he will have you shaved sterilized and destroyed (laughs) and it's an exploration of kind of multiple parts of this, right? It's like there, there's the outbreak part, the immediate outbreak part where you see how it actually happens. And Bruce Willis, the time traveler, so he's trying to, you know, he knows it's going to happen, so he's trying to prevent it. But then, you know, how time travel movies usually go, and you, it results in the, in that, in a beautiful series of shots where he's walking around with the the hazmat suit on and you know the the zoos have been emptied and there's lions roaming around and giraffes and things and it's the sounds are reverberating through our empty cities and it's sort of like a return to the jungle right it's a return to the primitive and that's that one. Maybe I should end it on that because that seems very poignant. Twelve Monkeys, you should check it out. Apparently, Sci-Fi Channel made it into like a new miniseries thing. I don't know if that's an abomination or not, but the Twelve Monkeys film was was great, right? But there, I'm going to end on this one because I don't know really where else I could put this one in. Uh, Cyborg. <laughs> Cyborg was a 19. Damn it, hang on. Hang on. 1989. 19. Cyborg. Hang on. Cyborg. 19. Damn it. No. No. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Van Damme. Yeah. So. Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme. In the movie Cyborg. 1989. Uh, starring opposite some really huge buff, like, half-black dude with crazy blue eyes, must have been contacts, but he's, like, a huge dude, and Van Damme looks like a little dude next to him. Uh, Van Damme has, like, five lines of dialogue in the movie, and he's, you know, unintelligible, like, 
I am a slinger. That's what I do. I get the people out of the city. Just, you Dutch bastard. Belgian? Dutch? Whatever. Anyway. Uh, Van Damme is like a hand-to-hand combat killer. This movie has so many stabbings. It has stabbings. It has, like, club beatings, breaking necks, and Van Damme, of course, doing jumping, uh, spinning roundhouse kicks to the face, and he just brutally murders, like, I don't know, like 20 people at least. I mean, they're attacking him, to be fair, but uh, the whole whole world is... uh, laid out in about three lines of of monologue at the beginning of the movie where uh I forget the guy I forget the villain's name but he's an intimidating dude he is the one talking about how there was a collapse of civilization so that happened first and then you had the plague the living death and so scientists in Atlanta, I'm assuming it was a reference to the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta, uh, even after the apocalypse, they send some guys with a cyborg, a human android robot, and she is downloading information from a computer in, I guess, New York City, and storing it in her, and she's going to go back to Atlanta, and then they're going to have a cure for this disease. Well, uh... The villain doesn't want that. He can't have that. Or if he wants it, he wants to have the cure so he can just rule over everybody and he will, he'll he cure you if you give him fealty. So he has control. He captures the cyborg and then she's going to like go with them because she's just trying to go along and get the cure. Van Damme finds out about this and he's got already got beef with the with this dude and they fight it out and they fight it out in multiple settings and... Uh, Van Damme gets crucified at one point, but all of this crazy violence is over, essentially over the cure for the disease that's ravaging the last of humanity, and you have to stop the disease from wiping out the last of humanity, right? So that's like about as far out as I can really see going with the pandemic apocalypse, uh, stories, and... Uh, again, that's it's basically Mad Max with no cars, is what Cyborg is. There's no cars, but it's like Mad Max. There's crazy masked characters in the wastelands, and they, you know, they murder each other. So, I wanted to, I mean, I wanted to recap, of course, because we deal with cold season and flu season and people buy drugs and they oh have their sick days and <laughs> oh, I don't feel good and then and then you have Ebola and things where you're like shitting your guts out and you're dying right well we are i mean i was listening to a radio lab podcast about this recently that there's just this ever increasing arms race between the microbes we know exist that are deadly to us, you know, pneumonia and AIDS and even like staph, um, you know, MRSA and stuff is starting to run rampant, right? And we, as a species, because we live in cities and we live in large groups and we're social creatures, we're just heavily susceptible to a lot of these, uh, to these microbes, and the microbes, it's not personal. They don't hate us. They just destroy our 
bodies. They just destroy our cells. And they're not necessarily like trying to do it. They don't hate us. They're just living. The way we live and we eat other creatures to survive, they just live and just destroy mammal cells, you know? And then we cough on each other and spread it around, and it just keeps living. And that's almost worse because it's just blind. It just wants to expand and multiply and infect further as far as, as far as it possibly can. And in the meantime, it's killing your children and destroying your civilization. So, I don't know, keep that in mind when you're thinking about the CDC, when you're watching the news. Every time people are talking about Zika virus and all these things, just keep in mind that it's a matter of vectors and it's a matter of how fatal it is. It's a matter of how knowledgeable the population is about how diseases and things transfer because if we are complacent or we overprescribe things like pharmaceutical uh, you know antibiotics and things or people don't follow protocols about you know covering your mouth when you cough and washing your hands before you eat that kind of thing uh you're you're going to continue to see outbreaks and I mean, it's kind of like the astral impact thing. It's just a matter of time before one of them hits the jackpot, the genetic lottery, and just wipes out massive numbers of human beings. And it wouldn't even necessarily need to kill that many for our society to start to fray at the edges a little bit and then possibly collapse. So thanks to thanks for listening to this episode of the Kyle Style Podcast. Uh, go over to the Kyle Style Podcast or Kyle Style Design, Redbubble.com. Uh, get you some original Kyle Style art on some shirts or uh, leggings, mugs, travel mugs. So, so you have a regular mug with some art on it. And then you could get the other mug, the travel mug, with the same art on it so that you have the art in both places. I don't know. I'm just throwing out ideas here. I wouldn't want you to miss out. Uh, I, I directly benefit from purchases on the redbubble.com store as you might as well if you don't want to do that you could just go over to the gofundme page throw me a dollar throw me five dollars throw me 50 cents if they'll let you whatever uh i'm shaking my cup on the internet hoping to capture a few shekels as you fling them at me in anger right and uh well, thanks for listening of course i'm gonna finish up with a little another little tidbit here though I don't want to go out on the ad because then you'll just totally tune out. I know how to keep you here. Uh, there's a really great documentary that was made by, I think it was Nat Geo, uh, National Geographic, a few years ago. I saw it. It was called Life After Humans. And this is one of those ones where the, you know, the nuclear war scenario devastates everything. It changes, could potentially change the entire ecosystem. Astral impact, same thing. Um, we... And, and then, you know, technological, uh, technocalypse, that kind of thing, that could really ravage everything. Disease has the ability to, or potential to wipe out everybody, but like a neutron bomb, like I said earlier, it leaves everything here. Aside from maybe fires and some crashes and things like that, everything else is still here. And... If you came along 50 years later, there would just be maybe some dried husks, mummified you know, corpses around, and all this stuff everywhere. 
And if you were a lone survivor and all that, well, you got all the stuff you ever need. You got all the cars, you got all the guns, all the food, everything. Uh, but maybe it doesn't kill the animals. So now you do have all animals roaming through the cities. And I don't know, if they get out of the zoo, you got elephants running down Park Avenue. And that that documentary went from the moment that everybody's gone. It kind of raptured everybody in that scenario that everybody's just poof, gone. And it went through deck, you know, first year, first, you know, months, week, oh, well, days, weeks, months, years, you know, decades, and then like centuries out. And one of the interesting things that it, it relayed to me that I recall is that in a couple of thousand years, even a lot of our, you know, a lot of our titanium stuff will have been ground into sand or it will be uh, buried under sediment and stuff and you would almost not be able to find it. Some of the only evidence of our existence here in, in, in the world, in the universe at all, will be things like our, our moon garbage, stuff that we left on the moon, our Voyager spacecraft, which is now flying outside of the solar system. And even those could get obliterated by some kind of, you know, uh, astral impacts or something. But one thing that will remain potentially forever uh, in the genetic code of our domesticated animals are these completely unnatural genetic bottlenecks that would have had no environmental pressures to have created so if some aliens came along and they find cows roaming around or dogs and then they check them out and they analyze their dna they're going to say at some point they're going to say hey why does why does this thing bottleneck right here and then the the only real reason for that would have been that they were domesticated and they were bred specifically for those genetics and that might be one of the only traces that humanity ever existed. Wow. So, once again, thanks for listening. Uh, stay tuned for the next episode of the Kyle Style Podcast, especially Visions of the Apocalypse. I try to do my research on these. Uh, Redbubble.com, Kyle Style Design, GoFundMe page. We'll see you again on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.